everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. So today is session nine and our last session in the book of Second Peter. I hope you've enjoyed and learned as much as I have from this amazing book. Today we're discussing chapter three, verses 10 through 18. So you know the phrase, you just had to be there? People use this phrase when they're trying to describe something that's indescribable. Years ago, when our children were small, my husband decided to design and build a swing set. Now, he had the perfect picture in his head of what he wanted the swing set to look like. But unfortunately, when he tried to describe it to me, I just couldn't understand. I wasn't able to grasp the picture that he had in his head, no matter how many times he tried to explain it. I just couldn't get it. It wasn't until I actually saw the structure being built that I was able to truly understand everything he was trying to explain. Well, oftentimes in life, we encounter situations that are difficult to understand or difficult to describe. And in our passage today, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tries to describe one of the most difficult concepts to understand in the entire universe, the end of the world, and the impact this knowledge should have on the way we live our lives. So let's read Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you, according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard, so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So in verse 10, Peter goes about describing the day of the Lord. Now, this refers to the events of the end times, when God brings judgment upon the earth through fire and destroys heaven and earth, and Christ returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Now, Peter's using apocalyptic language here when he refers to the heavens passing away with a loud noise and the elements burning and dissolving and the earth and the works on it being disclosed. We find the same apocalyptic language in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Now, what's important to remember here is that Peter is not attempting to describe in literal terms all the details pertaining to the end of the world, or else he would have spent more than just two verses on it. There's a bigger point here, and that is the fact that it will happen. Now, scholars may disagree on the order and timing of end-time events, but Peter, he doesn't get bogged down with that. He's okay with using figurative language and speaking in generalities, 
because us knowing the details of the end of the world and Jesus' return is not his primary concern. More important to him, I think, is making sure we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is going to happen, that it will be catastrophic, no one will be untouched, and knowing this should affect how we live our lives today. Luke 12:38 says it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Luke 12:40 says you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect. When I was a child, I lived on the Gulf Coast of Texas, so we lived through pretty for many many hurricanes. Now, modern technology can pinpoint the exact time and place a hurricane will make landfall, but when I was a kid, it wasn't so accurate. There were signs that it was coming, pouring rain, increasing wind speed. So based on the signs, we knew to prepare ourselves, board up the windows, get batteries and candles and plenty of food and water. Now, we didn't know the exact time of its arrival, but when it did arrive, it was fierce and sudden and very powerful. God's word says that Jesus is coming back to rescue the godly and to judge wickedness and evil. Do you believe it? And are you ready for it? Now, there are two things that can be said about God's word. It is all true and it is all for our benefit. So how does knowing that someday the world will come to an end benefit us? Well, I mean, some people may see this as good news. This old world's in such upheaval, I'm glad it's going to be destroyed. But to many others, this can be frightening. But for the Christian, the one who has a relationship with Jesus, the one who has placed their faith and trust in him for salvation, there need not be fear. Because as verse 13 tells us, Jesus is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, where according to Revelation 21, Jesus will dwell with us where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain, because the old order of things has passed away. So while the news that God is going to destroy the world by fire is scary, there's a purpose for it. And as my husband reminded me, think about when firefighters set fires to do controlled burns. Controlled burns are lit in order to rid the forest of dead leaves, tree limbs, and debris. Controlled burns reduce insect populations and destroy invasive plants. These fires can also be rejuvenating. They return nutrients to the soil through the ashes, and the additional sunlight and open space after a fire can help young trees and plants to grow. And God brings fire upon the earth to consume all that sin has brought into the world, so that he can recreate it in perfection, complete with joy and peace. Matthew Henry says, Oh, what will become of us if we set our affections on this earth and make it our portion? Seeing all these things shall be burnt up. Look out, therefore, and make sure of a happiness beyond this visible world, which all must be melted down. This is what Peter's telling us in verses 11 and 12. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, 
We wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So verse 10 ended by saying the earth and all the works on it will be disclosed or laid bare, exposed for what it really is. And if this is the case, then how should we live in light of this? Well, with holy conduct and godliness. Simply put, not to live and think like the world does, but instead like Jesus does. And more than just think and act, the verse says what kind of people we should be, inside and out. One commentary said, The transitory nature of the material universe ought to make a difference in one's system of values and one's priorities, and the result should be lives of holiness. So I think we should be striving to live like Jesus and for Jesus as we wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Hasten from the Greek means to urge on or desire earnestly. One commentary said, Peter is stressing to his readers not to sit around idly waiting for Jesus to return, but instead should busy themselves with the work the Lord left for them to do. And Peter even says himself back in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his prophets. Now, as one scholar pointed out, there can be two extremes in how to respond to this passage. Now, one extreme is having the attitude that we are somehow locked into God's sovereign plan in such a way that nothing we do makes any difference. And the second extreme is thinking that God can't get anything done unless we do it. God's sovereign plan must never be an excuse for laziness on our part. But neither must our plans and activities try to take its place. So while we're striving to live lives of holiness and godliness, we should should also look forward to and anticipate the day of the Lord. Because as verse 13 told us, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 14, it goes on to say, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight, at peace. So again, Matthew Henry says, Though it may terrify the ungodly to see the visible heavens all in a flame and the elements melting, yet the believer, whose faith is in the evidence of things not seen, can rejoice in hope of more glorious heavens after those have been melted and refined by the fire, which shall burn up all the dross of this visible creation. So I believe it's a day that Christians can anticipate with hope, not with dread, because Jesus will make all things right. And Peter not only tells us what we should do, wait for his coming, but how we should do it. Make every effort to be found without spot or blemish. Now, obviously, this is a reference to the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. The lamb had to be without any spots, blemishes, or imperfections in order to be considered a proper sacrifice. And then Jesus, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was perfect in every way. And although we aren't perfect, we still should follow in the steps of Jesus and live lives that are pure, without defect. So we won't be ashamed when Jesus returns. I mean, what do we usually do when company comes for a visit or family comes from out of town? 
Well, we clean up the house because we don't want to be embarrassed when they come. Well, Jesus is coming back. So we need to get busy cleaning our inner house, our temple. We should live at peace, verse 14 says. Be at peace with God, our own consciences, and each other. Now, I know that sounds like a pretty tall order. I mean, our world is hardly at peace right now. What possible difference can we make? But we don't have to accomplish it all alone because God, he is the God of peace. Romans and Corinthians tells us that. Therefore, if God lives within you, then you have it too. And in verses 15 and 16, we read, Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. So God's patience is salvation. That is clearly a reference back to verse 9, when he says the Lord does not delay his promise, but is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So being mindful of Jesus' return and focusing on being ready when he does, it helps keep our relationship with the Lord strong. It reminds us that we are not the center of the universe. The Lord is. And it reminds us that there are bigger things going on here than just our current circumstances. But we also mustn't become discouraged if he doesn't come back today. Because that's so that others will have the opportunity to come to salvation. And as Psalm 33:11 reminds us, the Lord's plans stand firm forever from generation to generation. So God's plan is still in motion, even if it doesn't always feel like it. So let's make sure we're on the right side of things. And let's help make sure that our friends and family are too. Now, Peter also mentions the Apostle Paul here in the letters that he has written. And I think it really speaks to Peter's character that he calls Paul a dear brother. Because back in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul He rebuked Peter. When Peter came to visit the church in Antioch, he regularly ate with the Gentiles. But when Jewish men sent from James arrived, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and he separated himself because he was afraid of the men from the circumcision group. And it led others to follow Peter. So when Paul saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, Paul reprimanded Peter in front of everyone. And yet here... Peter calls him dear brother. So clearly, Peter accepted the constructive criticism and moved on. He didn't let it hinder his relationship with Paul or his own ministry. He learned from the mistake and kept going. What a wonderful example for us all on how to handle mistakes. And so I think Peter's basically saying, just as I'm writing to you about the importance of maintaining a close relationship with the Lord and continuing to live holy lives, and the fact that Jesus will someday come again, Paul has also written about these things. So the readers are getting corroborating testimonies from two pillars of the faith. And Peter also refers to Paul's letters as scripture. So their words can be believed and trusted as true wisdom from God. 
And he closes the chapter in verses 17 and 18 by saying, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So I feel like verse 17 pretty much sums up the entire reason why Peter writes this letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. Basically, because you're my friends and you're dear to me, I want to warn you about what's coming. And why? So you can prepare yourselves by growing in grace and knowledge. So we're not led away by false teachers and lose our stable position, become weak and ineffectual in our walk with God. We have all the tools we need to succeed in our walk of faith. So we need to make sure we keep our tools handy and we need to keep them sharpened and ready so we don't stumble in our faith become spiritually weak. We must grow in the gra- in grace and knowledge, meaning there's always more to learn and discover about God. And as as we grow closer to as we grow closer to the Lord, we will experience more of his grace because we'll become more aware of his presence and his working in our lives. It is for our benefit that the, uh, verse 17 says since you know this in advance. From the Greek it's the word prognosko, which means to know beforehand. It's where we get our English word prognosis. So, our doctor, the God of the universe, has given the earth and everything on it a prognosis. And that is, evil will not rule forever. There is a time coming when evil will be destroyed, and Jesus will make all things right. Now it's up to us how we're going to respond to this prognosis. So let's ask ourselves the question, are we growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because true growth involves our head and our heart. So let's, let's let our challenge for this week be to pray that the Lord will make us aware of spots and blemishes in our lives, any flaws in our actions or character that should be confessed and removed. And let's strive to live lives of holiness as we anticipate the Lord's return. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.